This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Father, we thank you that you have come down for us and you send us out for you on mission. And Father, as we launch out into a new year, we pray that you would use these next few minutes to, to grab the attention of our minds and our hearts, cause us to reflect deeply on where we are and where we want to go in 2018. And so we give this time to you. We thank you that the new has come in Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. One of my favorite uh, bands is, is U2, and they have a song called New Year's Day, and one of the lines in that song is the refrain, nothing changes on New Year's Day. I think for the overwhelming majority of people in the world, that's, that's their attitude as they approach the hours leading up to a new year. They don't really go into a new year with any kind of hope that things are going to be different about. The only change is a change in the calendar. have to remember to write an eight instead of a seven on forms and checks and so forth. That's the extent of the, the change. There's another line, though, in that song that resonates with hope, and it's the line, I, I will begin again. Christianity is about new beginnings. We have to experience a new beginning to even become a Christian. We have to be born again to even become a Christian, and the Christian life is a life of constant new beginnings. It's about transformation. We can never say that nothing changes because sanctification is about change. Growing in Christ is all about change. Indeed, it's about transformation. And on the last day of the year, this is a time for us to reflect on where we are in that process of transformation and where we want to go, where we want to be in, in 2018. 2 Corinthians 5 is a great text to do that with. Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to look this morning at verses 16 through 21. The new has come. 2 Corinthians 5 and beginning with verse 16, and we're going we're gonna to read through verse 21. I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. The Apostle Paul says, beginning in verse 16, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us 
the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You can be seated. This text gives us two aspects of our new life in Christ. Two implications of the fact that we are new creations in Christ. First of all, Jesus has given us a new way of thinking about others. Let's look at verse 16. He says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Now, the ESV is a good translation. I think they, they make the Greek unnecessarily difficult to understand here by the, the use of the term flesh. Let's look at what the New Living Translation uh, says about verse 16, the way it translates. It, it says this, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that before Christ came into our lives, we thought very differently. We thought very differently about Christ, obviously. We thought very differently about other people. We thought very differently about other people. Before we came to know Jesus... A lot of times, other people were just a means to an end for us. And, and the end was our own selfish desire. And we kind of used people to get the things that we wanted. But we did the same thing with God. Before we became followers of Jesus, we used God as a means to an end. You remember before you became a Christian and you really got into trouble, you suddenly became a huge prayer warrior? You know, God, get me out of this. Get me out of this, this crisis. And then the crisis would pass. And, you know, God was kind of put out to the street, just like old Christmas trees are going to be put to the street this week. He was kind of put away in a closet or an attic, just like decorations are going to be this week. We, we used God to get us out of our immediate crisis, but once the pressure was gone, so was he. How differently we now think in Christ. How differently we think of Christ. We understand now as believers that, that life is not about us. It's about him. No, no longer uh, does, you know, do we think that the world revolves around us. We understand that our, that our lives are to revolve around Christ at the center. And that life is about his honor. And his glory. And we understand now that people are not there to be used and abused. They're there to be served and loved. Verse 17. 
This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Now, this is a verse that we need to constantly go back to because we have an enemy that is constantly seeking to drag us down by parading our old life in front of us and and beating us up with it like with a stick and reminding us of sins from our past and and seeking to just make us live in a state of of uh, self-condemnation, self-recrimination and humiliation because of the the sins and mistakes of our our past. He, He wants to sap us of our joy and our peace in Christ by just sort of dragging us down. And we have to constantly preach verse 17 to ourselves that in Christ we are new creations that we are forgiven and free, that we are, have been adopted as sons and daughters of the king. We are his children. He loves us and accepts us based on the, the, the accomplishment and the righteousness of Christ alone. And, and that's, we have to constantly remind ourselves of that because the enemy is constantly seeking to, to drag us down. And so part of of living a new life in Christ, as Paul emphasizes in Romans 6 and elsewhere, is, is, is that we have to think of ourselves differently. We are new creations in Christ. We are no longer slaves of sin. We are new, forgiven, free in him. And we can live that way. That's part of what verse 17 is saying, but it's, it's even richer because in context... Verse 17 is is, is saying that as new creations in Christ, we should also have a new perspective in the way that we think about other people. We understand now that other people are not there for us to get what we want. We understand that, that, that God has put people in our path to love them and to bring them to him. And we understand, and this is huge, that every person that we meet is created in the image of God and they are immortal. They are going to spend eternity with Christ or separated from Christ and and, and he has given us an assignment to bring them closer to Christ and closer to an eternity with Christ rather than an eternity separated from him. Now C.S. Lewis in his classic book, The Weight of Glory, is locked into this Lewis says this in The Weight of Glory. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, exploit. The dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. Wow. Does that charge... <laughs> human interactions with meaning 
It, Lewis is saying here that, that every person that we interact with, every conversation that we have, we are either drawing people closer to the Savior or pushing them farther away from the Savior. We are either drawing them closer to an eternity with him or to an eternity without him. That's what's at stake in our interactions with people. And so there's a new way of thinking about others, but, but this also leads to, and this is the second thing that we see here, a new way of thinking about ministry to others. Did you know that you've been called to ministry? <laughs> Look at verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So before we met Christ, we were in a state of rebellion against God. Now in Christ, we live in a state of reconciliation with God. And that's because of the work of Christ. It's because Christ on the cross atoned for our sins so that we could be brought back to God, reconciled to God, and no longer be his enemies but his friends. But Jesus didn't go to the cross just so that we could say, hey, I'm reconciled. He went to the cross so that not only we could be reconciled, but so that we could be ministers of reconciliation to other people. And that involves a ministry and it involves a message. Look at verses 18 and 19 again. He says at the end of verse 18 that he's, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The ministry involves a message. And notice here that he has entrusted that message to us. He has given us that message of the gospel as a stewardship. If God placed in your hands a piece of paper that would have the formula for the final cure for cancer, what would you do with that? Would you bury it in the ground? Would you stuff it away in a drawer? Would you hide it? I don't think any person in this room would do that. I believe every one of you would guard that until you could pass it along to medical authorities that could use it to change the world. But we have in our hands something that can do infinitely more than a cure for cancer. Because even people who are cured of cancer are going to die. We have in our hands a message that would reconcile people to God forever. What are we going to do with that message that God has entrusted to us? Are we going to be more bold in speaking of Jesus in 2018? and being ambassadors for Christ in 2018. Look at verse 20. He says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So I was thinking about the role of ambassadors 
in our own culture, we kind of know what ambassadors do. In the first century, it was actually very similar. New Testament scholar David Garland says this about ambassadors, envoys in the first century. He says the surviving documents that provide us with some record of diplomacy make it quite clear that envoys were usually sent to others as a sign of friendship and goodwill to establish a relationship, to renew friendly relations, or to make an alliance. God's purpose in sending Christ and his envoys has the same end, to put an end to hostilities and to bring about a reconciliation. So the king sends us out as his ambassadors to help other people come back to him, be reconciled to him. And the way that we do that is we build relationships with people with the prayer that they would come into an infinitely more important relationship, a, a relationship with God. And part, part of just loving people, and that's our agenda, right, in building relationships with other people. We, you know, we, we want to love people, no strings attached, but part of, of loving people people, really loving them, is telling them about Jesus. So in our relationships with others, we need to do a couple of things. First of all, we need to model the character of the king. We need to model the character of the king that sent us out as his ambassadors as we relate to other people, will they see the character of Christ? Will they see his love and compassion and kindness? Will they see his moral courage and his, his, his willingness to stand up for the weak and the poor and the vulnerable? Will they, they see uh, his hatred of, of evil and injustice? Will they see the fruit of the Spirit? in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. As his ambassadors were to model the character of the king who sent us. And second, we are as his ambassadors to speak words about the king. We are to speak the good news about the king who sent us. The atheist entertainer Penn Jillette was once given a Bible by a Christian friend, and, and Pendulette saw it for what it was, genuine concern for him. And Pendulette, an atheist, said later on, on his video blog, he said, how much do you have to hate someone to believe that eternal life is possible and not tell them that? Ed Stetzer at Wheaton College wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post called, Call Yourself a Christian, Start Talking About Jesus Christ. And in this piece, you know, Ed uh, uh, talks about the fact that we often use, and you've, you've heard me re relay this before, we, we, you hear people in the Christian community sometimes use the phrase falsely attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. He never actually said this, but it's attributed to him. Preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. And Ed points out that's bad theology. <laughs> it's bad theology because the gospel in itself demands words. It is a message. It is news that must be announced. It must be spoken. 
And so to say, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. That's like saying, feed the hungry at all times, if necessary, use food. You have to use food to feed hungry people. And you have to use words, right, to, to, to convey the message of the gospel. So we are, to, as his ambassadors, to, to, to model the character of the king and then speak words about the king. And when those two things are done in combination, that's powerful. And people will listen. Verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, like verse 17, verse 21 is a justly famous text that is often read in isolation. But verse 21 is really not written as sort of just a, a, something that, that just stands off on its own um, and, and conveys sort of a, a message about the atonement or about uh, imputed righteousness. Those things are there. But, but, but it, to see the full richness of it, we need to see it again in context. What has Paul just finished saying before he says these words? Be reconciled to God at the end of verse 20. How are we reconciled to God? For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God became a human being. We just celebrated that at Christmas. He became a human being who lived a perfect human life without sin so that he could go to the cross and bear our sins. So that on the cross he could become sin for us. And when we receive Jesus, we receive all that he is. We are united to him, and we receive him for all that he is, and that includes his righteousness, so that a perfectly holy, righteous God can look upon us now in Christ and not condemn us, for we are clothed in the, the righteousness of, of Jesus. Now listen, this is a message of reconciliation that our world desperately needs to hear. It's a message that people in our lives need to hear, that, our, that family members and friends and colleagues at work and neighbors and friends at school and people that we work out with and interact with in other contexts, it's a message that people desperately need to hear. And what we're seeing in this text is, is a totally new way of looking at life. Before Christ, it was all about us. Life revolved around us. If God was in our lives at all, it was like we said, okay, God, here, you can have a little part in our play. The play, the drama is really about us, but you can have a role in it. We understand now, that's not reality. We understand now that this drama is all about him. And he gives us a role in that. He gives us a part to play in this huge drama of redemption. He has made us ministers of reconciliation. 
He has sent us out as ambassadors so that no longer is life kind of like looking inward. Now we're looking up to him in faith. We're looking out to other people in love. And he has sent us out, out as ambassadors for him, as ministers of reconciliation for him to help other people come back to God, to help other people be reconciled to God. Every interaction that we have with other people this year, every single one, right? As, we, as C.S. Lewis says, I mean, we're, we're either helping them to come closer to Jesus or, or, or we're, we're pushing them far, farther away or, or, or erecting a barrier for them to come. May God use us in 2018 as his ambassadors, his ministers of reconciliation. Let's pray. Father, we embark upon a new year asking for you to use us, asking for you to help us understand that every day that we wake up, our lives are filled with meaning, that we have the opportunity every day to help people to get closer to you, to be reconciled to you, to come back to you, to, to help other believers get closer to you, to help people that are not yet in Christ come to know Christ. Lord, use us this year. May 2018 be so much bigger than ourselves. May you be bigger in our lives as we looked up to you in faith. And Lord, help us to look out to others in love, knowing that you have called us to be ministers to them, ambassadors to them. You have sent us out for that purpose. Lord, use us. Use us as individuals this year. Use us as a church family this year for that great purpose. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and you want to know more about him, we would love to talk with you, pray with you. If you want to know more about our church family, if there's a need for prayer, uh, we invite you to come. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child his very own son or daughter. Just imagine 
Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving Father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you to come to one of our services. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.